ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Christmas time is here. That's right, we watched Black Christmas 2006 on Kill by Kill. Well, holiday greetings, uh, internet listeners. This is your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from the Delta Alpha, Alpha Kappa Sorority House. <laughs> I never said that out loud. I've only looked at the symbols. Uh, this is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we are dedicated to the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We're going to unpack all the gory details of the 2006 remake of Black Christmas in the hopes that a sorority sister's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make at their expense. And as always, there is only one person I trust to make the perfect cookie with my flesh. The one and only Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing, Gina? Ho, 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 Patrick. It's November 5th. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're, really, we're doing this slightly in advance. We're, we're getting in that, that that Christmas creep nice and early. <laughs> That's right. The war on Christmas has been lost. We're neck deep in it uh, very early on into November. That's okay. The Starbucks cup I got today was red as hell. I don't know what anyone could possibly complain about, but I promise you they will find something. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> We're a little nervous. It's election day tomorrow. Okay. Yes, we're a little on a little 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 on edge. <laughs> you know that that emoji of the that's just kind of you know, sort of smiling. But he's got all his teeth showing. That's 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 kind of how everybody's feeling right now. That might be my capsule review for Bohemian Rhapsody, which uh, Becky made me go watch. Um, <laughs> just that face, the grimace. <laughs> just a lot of teeth that you can't hold into your mouth. Um, <laughs> Boy, that Rami Malek is a good actor, but that is a lousy film. All right, uh, we're not here to talk about that. Let's not sour our mood with just barely passable uh, rock biopics. Let's talk to a real expert. I don't want to uh, alarm you, Gina, but we are not alone. Those footsteps you hear on the rooftop are not from Santa's sleigh. They are from our special guest. She is the managing editor for Daily Deadcut com and the co-host of the site's podcast corpse club and of course her latest book which delves into the best stories by the makeup effects artists who gave us all the best nightmares of the 1980s it's called monster squad and is available now the one the only heather wixon how are you doing heather i'm doing great i love how you set me up like I'm basically Billy Lenz to this episode where I'm like, there might be noises upstairs. Could be me creeping along. Could be Billy. We don't know. Um, we don't but know. thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm excited to dive into this. Well, I've been a tremendous fan. I read you for quite some time. And then, of course, I, I listened to Corpse Club. Um, and our good friend Patrick Bromley, who's been on the show several times, is, uh, is uh, your co-host there. Uh, your cohort, and so I enjoy you immensely on there, and I couldn't wait to to grab you and and bring you into our fold. And uh, so I'm sorry that I did it with 2006's Black Christmas. Well, you know, I mean, they they can't all be winners. Um, but I have a soft spot for holiday horror, so I feel like you know, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna come on and talk about any movie, I'll I'll even do Black Christmas 2006 because I do love <laughs> holiday horror movies. So. <laughs> I'm game. I sound like I'm down on this, but I'm literally mixed. There's parts of this I absolutely love, and there are parts where I do not care for it at 
all. What was your first experience with the 1974 edition? You know, it's interesting. I never actually saw the original Black Christmas growing up. For some reason, it just didn't happen. And then I remember when I was in film class in high school, um, I took like a senior film studies class. And our teacher had us watch like the week of Christmas, like before we're getting out for break. And he had us watch a Christmas story. And then it was interesting because he said like, oh, this director also directed Black Christmas. And I was like, wait, really? Like (laughs) the movie with the crazy phone calls? Like that's interesting to me. Um, So I didn't come to Black Christmas till later. Uh, I'm kind of glad I did because I think as a kid, it probably wouldn't have been my cup of tea. I think when I was younger, I really sort of gravitated towards horror comedy a lot. But, you know, that's kind of a product of growing up in the 80s because the genre was having a little more fun then. But I will say it was the Scream Factory Blu-ray. Like I watched it in high school and I was like, okay, that was really creepy, really weird, really mean. Uh, very disconcerting, especially considering most people still had landlines back then because I'm old. Um, <laughs> but it was getting the Scream Factory Blu-ray um, that really made me go back into this movie uh, to Bob Clark's original. And I completely fell in love with it as an adult. And I think I was glad to sort of have that perspective in terms of what he was doing with that film. And it is a very dark movie uh, in terms of its tone, the material, the way it treats its characters. Uh, Nobody is safe in that movie. Uh, I think the way that it ends is so beautifully bleak and horrific. And I think for me, that's what's always stood out about it because it is, you know, it is a horror movie set at Christmas. You think you'd want something that feels a little more like, hey, everything's going to be all right. And that is not what Bob Clark does whatsoever. Uh, And I think for me, that's why it's always been such a standout. And so, you know, I, again, it's one that I just, you know, kind of came into really the last couple of years, but it gets played a lot in December because I'm a weirdo. (laughs) Uh, Gina, what was your first experience with the original? I'm sure I probably watched it as a teenager, but I didn't really remember much about it. But then uh, a couple years ago, I was writing movie reviews mostly of horror and I uh you know December rolled around like well I should do something holiday related and and my uh my first thought was that I was going to do uh Silent Night Deadly Night so I turned that on I watched it for about a half hour and I was like well this is fucking garbage and I uh (laughs) and and I'm not going to watch to the end of it just to to write a and I I watch a lot of garbage I I review just for the fun of it old tv movies from from the 70s and 80s and and that's enjoyable this was not enjoyable i turned off i was like well i need something other christmas (gasps) i know black christmas and i I put it on not really expecting a whole lot of it and i found it genuinely unnerving probably probably it's the only slasher movie other than halloween that i actually found to be really scary um, again, because as, as Heather said, you know, none of these characters were safe. It had that really kind of bleak ending, which sort of suggests that the, 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 the cops just left Olivia Hussey in the house and, and just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're good. Everything's all right now. You know, we, worst we, policemen ever. You know, oh, take, they're terrible. Yeah. We're, we're just, you know, you, you, you got the guy. It's okay. Everything's fine. We're just going to leave you here in, in, in this, in this crime scene, which, you know. <laughs> All right, sure. Why? Why not? But it, it's. I mean, certainly the the you know the the scenes with the phone calls are very scary, yes. <laughs> and apparently that was actually Bob Clark himself. 
doing the, doing the it voice was, yeah. of those phone calls, and it's just these you know insane animal noises and just this you know disgusting filth that he's saying to them and and you lift from something heather said you know in the 80s and all you know prank calls you know were were a thing and you couldn't trace them and you know i I am old enough to remember how scary that was when you know someone would call your house and they they keep hanging up or they just be breathing you just suddenly don't feel safe at all and and this really brought that all back for me i feel the same way about Black Christmas 1974, the way some people talk about the last house on the left. To me, the elements of it that feel very amateurish about last house on the left. I I just, there's something about the tone of the comedy parts of the Keystone cops element there that doesn't work for me. Whereas it does work for me in black Christmas 74. And those phone calls are some of the most disturbing things. And I think you can draw a direct line between that and Scream 2000, uh, Scream 1996, because those are the only two phone calls used in a horror film where I feel like they use the medium to maximum effect. Right. Yeah, it's and, it's almost very similar to when a stranger calls to, uh, not when a stranger calls to, but when a stranger calls comma to, because uh, that was I actually saw that before I ever saw Black Christmas, and that movie scared the crap out of me because I used to babysit a lot, mm-hmm. and people and that would be a joke that we would do uh, to each other is we would always call each other and be like, "Have you checked the children?" You know, and we would just screw with each other, but it was really scary, like that idea of somebody on the other line who may or may not actually pose some sort of physical threat to you. Like, again, these days, you know, we see that sort of addressed in Scream 2, like, you know, the caller ID happens, Star 69 happened. And now with cell phones, like, you can't, it's it's nearly impossible to sort of live anonymously through your phone anymore. Uh, and I almost miss that, that, that sort of simplification of technology. It plays very much with that anonymity or not knowing the source of, of anything. And there's also a seed of mistrust throughout the entire movie. Like, everyone has these dark impulses that they can't seem to keep in check because the holidays have brought out the worst in them. And on top of it, you have this unknown force which seems to be picking people off at their their worst moments and it just it just works for whatever reason it's both skill and right place and it's cast well and you have all these talented people who would go on to be much bigger stars after that with uh, i think olivia hussey kind of had had peaked previous to that with romeo and juliet but i think she's used to great effect here and it's also very adult and i that's the other thing that like teen sh- probably shouldn't watch it because you're just not there's a, a level of adultness to it that you need to acquire because there's like real life happening amongst this proto slasher movie and unless you have an appreciation for it i think you just kind of play it off as just random drama but i think if you have a little life experience underneath you it gets very real very fast yeah, I think a lot of that comes from the uh, that sort of through line of, you know, with the pregnancy and everything and, yeah. you know, basically her just wanting to get rid of the worst boyfriend ever, which, you know, I get. He was awful. <laughs> He's he was... a terrible guy. And he also just it's that very toxic masculinity of you can't do this. Uh, I'm in control of what you do. 
and she feels very isolated by this and she feels like she can't tell anybody and everyone else has their own dark family inadequacies they can't quite communicate with one another gives me the heebie-jeebies just talking about it but this isn't that movie so (laughs) let's talk about the unique animal that is black christmas 2006 now we're at a point here this is in the aftermath of the texas chainsaw remake yeah texas chainsaw was i believe 2003 so this is right in that midsection of it where i think mm-hmm. we were just about to, i think this might have come out the same year as the uh texas chainsaw remakes prequel I believe. Ah. So Mm -hmm. it was in that sort of messy time where we hadn't quite gotten to My Bloody Valentine yet, uh, but we were sort of in this mid-ground of we're like, let's just remake a bunch of different horror movies and see which one lands. Because I think this was a year or two after Willard, which I know uh, Glenn Morgan also did. Yes. And of course, their their shining successes kind of came in TV as early in the writer's room of the X-Files, writing some great Monster of the Week episodes. They were very good for that. And then they went on to do a couple of their own TV shows, but it was Final Destination, which they didn't originally conceive of, but they did a polish of. And Glenn Morgan's partner, uh, whose first name escapes me, is it? Is it David Wong? Darren Wong? Darren Wong. Uh, my apologies, Mr. Wong. Um, uh, he directed that one. Uh, but then, yeah, Glenn Morgan comes in to do Willard. Oh, you know what? Um, it was James Wong. I'm so sorry. James Wong. Oh, my God. My apologies I always, in again. In my head, whenever I think of James Wong, I think of James Wan in my head, and I get really uh, mad at myself because I'm like, no, that's wrong. And I'm like, no, it's right. Uh, and I should know this because I like was obsessed with X-Files. So but no, da- because Glenn Morgan's brother, Darren Morgan. Darren, that's where I got the That's Darren where from. you got Darren from. Okay. This is, this got, is more explainable. <laughs> <laughs> the magic like of editing degrees. will not make this appear uh, uh, the least bit. <laughs> yeah, this is like six degrees of X-Files right now, which yeah. I could play. So <laughs> yeah, It's true. Uh, we're going to come back to it um, because this, this film has some of the hallmarks. So we have Glenn Morgan doing Willard, which I think has the same, a lot of the same tonal aspects of Black Christmas. But I, it feels like because that was a new line film, he was allowed to really indulge that for comedy. Like this is going to be a black comedy. It's a story about a guy who can command rats to kill. There's no way you can take that super seriously. So just let me do it as black comedy. And I think it's very successful because of that. Then you get to Black Christmas. And I think we said this before we got on the air, but this is a dimension film. And Hmm. the producers whose name will not be spoken on this podcast (laughs) were known primarily for fucking with people in more ways than one, but particularly having an idea of how a horror film should be. And as a result of that, they uh, managed to fuck a lot of victories into defeats. And so I think this plays a weird middle ground where you can feel their fingerprints on it, but you can also see the movie that they, that they wrote on the page, which is a pitch black over-the-top comedy that also happens to be a slasher movie. Okay, so and... so this is supposed to be... There are parts that are supposed to be funny then. Oh, yes. I, yeah. wasn't, I wasn't really sure. <laughs> it, it doesn't really make its intentions yeah, uh, very it's clear, just, it's honestly. So, I mean, it felt... I mean, some of the scenes, particularly with Billy's childhood, felt very John Watersy to me. 
but mm-hmm. but but like I was like, is this intentional or or are they trying to go for some sort of was this before or after the the Rob Zombie reboots of Halloween? Uh, this is before. Was yeah. it okay? Because I I would have sworn that given the style and the you know well let's you know show you know this really grotesque childhood that this that this killer had so you know so I guess it makes some sense as to why he's doing what he's doing not that it matters but um, but yeah I mean I I'm watching this and I'm like. I guess this is supposed to be funny. I'm not laughing, but but <laughs> I mean, generally, it's a they feel like everything that involves Billy's childhood and everything that involves the, the sorority house definitely feel like two different movies. Uh, I think part of that is intentional. That there's a, an aspect to it. The past being warped by both interpretation and memory is something that they're going for. But there's also a general style that. Glenn Morgan is bringing to this where every surface has to be filmed at the most extreme angle possible. The ceilings in this house must be 15 feet high. (laughs) There's just no way that people look like they're five foot two walking around this place because the height of everything has to be so high for these giant crazy angles at one point he attaches the camera to the hip of a woman and goes up her body to look at the attic and i'm like what is happening here this is the wildest way to shoot this scene and i think the intention was to unnerve you and i think the result is occasionally it just confuses the fuck out of you (laughs) it it really was a movie that was taking a lot of chances at a time when remakes weren't. Um, so I give mm-hmm. it that. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, it doesn't feel like any other remake we were getting at that point. Some of it is questionable. But I, I think it's, you know, it's interesting that you sort of bring in this idea of the house. Because I think it's interesting once they sort of really address, like, there's, like, little mentions here and there, like, at the beginning of, like, oh, the gift for Billy, the gift for Billy. But once they really out loud sort of say, like, hey, we're living in this murder house. House, it almost it's almost like the perspective of the movie changes where the house is the one watching over everybody I, I don't know if that even makes sense but it just feels like that's suddenly when we're not getting those direct shots we're getting all these that's when it really starts to feel like everything around them is watching them and yet you know what I mean like it's not just the typical we're watching them everything around them is watching them yes I, I think I think that's a, an interesting take on it. And then there's the added element to it that in the original, like you kind of know Billy, but you also kind of don't. You're shown snippets of him and you see a lot of POV shots, but you know nothing really about Billy other than, you know, a couple snippets here and there. But you don't get a full backstory of the guy here. They abandoned that concept, as was the, you know, de jour of the time, where everyone had, like, you know what's really frightening? The story you haven't heard. And like, (laughs) no. You know what's really, you know what's really frightening? Moms who chain smoke. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's it's so funny. I'm... It's so funny how you, you can see like that uh, transition from you know you know movies of the you know from like the forties up until the eighties where like everybody smoked. It was just you know it was just the elegant thing to do or the cool thing to do. And then like at some point in like the mid nineties, it just it automatically became a sign that you were a bad person. <laughs> and and and, yeah, and if you've got like you know just constant cigarette coming to your mouth, it, it means you clearly a, a miscreant society and are probably abusing your children. You know what's really weird uh, when they go back to those those scenes where his mom's like sitting in the chair and she's smoking. I, this is the craziest thing for me to even think of. But when I was wa- rewatching those, like it honestly reminded me of the scenes in Scrooged when um <laughs> when he goes back and he's watching his mom in the chair and yes. she's smoking and i was like is this like some really messed up like homage to scrooge right now because that's what i feel like so i would love to ask because i just feel like it was like i'm getting scrooge vibes but not like hey this is scrooge it's just like the really screwed up version of scrooge but scrooge is a film which has wild tonal shifts right. but manages to ride those rails like yeah. it is a very thin line between it just skipping off into, oh, this is just too crazy. It just manages to stay on the right side of it. And it's hard, man. Any group of people trying to create one work of art, it's a tough gig. I feel like there was there's a movie here that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not sure what we're presented with is exactly that movie. I'm going to go out on a limb. I didn't know what I was supposed to be feeling <laughs> in various scenes. I, I didn't know if I was supposed to, you know, find this certain scene so outrageous as to, you know, just be, to be completely baffling. I didn't know if I was supposed to be scared. I didn't know if I was supposed to find this, you know, funny in a dark and gross sort of way. It's just there's just so much, you know, that is disorienting and again i don't know if it's intentional like i i one thing that i couldn't help but notice is you know the scene when when billy is born and and you know, it's worth pointing out that you know completely irrelevant to the plot or so i assume because i'll admit this is the first time i've ever seen this and i only watched the first 40 minutes so i have no idea if it ever becomes relevant to the plot that he has some sort of disease in which he looks like that yellow bastard from Sin City. I, I believe me yes. when I the first time I saw it, I was like, "Is this like a yellow bastard prequel or something?" He's like, like that? it was perfect, glowing. It's the perfect prequel. He's glowing, and and in some scenes he looks like he's about to turn into a werewolf because his eyes are yellow too. <laughs> and oh man, if he awesome would have turned, if he turned right? into a werewolf, that would have been the best twist ever. And so the mom looks like she's fifty. The dad looks like he's thirty. And then 10 years later, the mom looks even worse. The dad still looks the same age. So I'm not sure, like, what I'm supposed to be thinking here. Am I supposed to be thinking that, gosh, this is disorienting? Or am I supposed to be thinking, gosh, this is some really lazy casting and makeup they did. That they that they made the mom look really bad. And the dad looks like he's been encased in amber. <laughs> well, well, the second guy is actually the the new boyfriend. Right, right, right. But the dad. dad still looked. Yeah. yeah, right before the dad got killed, he still looked exactly the same age. Look, it's hard being a chain smoking mom. Like, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, clearly that that ages. <laughs> when you, you have little Johnny's kids, like it's 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 a rough gig. Pour out a little of that giant bottle of vodka that she sits to constantly. I that is a. What? How did they come that large? It looks like the kind of bottle that you would put a ship inside of. It's you could probably get those at Costco. Oh, sure you can. 
<laughs> but oh my goodness, she's she must be. I mean, when you're buying bulk and vodka as a as a smoking mom, whew, let's enter the fray here. Let's begin at the beginning. What a very good place to start, and that is inside the Delta Alpha Delta. This is going to be my just soror- sorority house. Just say sorority. Inside house. the sorority house. Who cares? It's not like we go to another sorority house. Inside this sorority house, where someone appears to be doing what I do each year, and that is get wine drunk instead of wrapping presents. And uh, it turns out that this individual is Claire Crosby. And I'm going to ask this question because as I name off these people. I would like to figure out, is this a theme within this movie? Now, on Final Destination, didn't they name everybody after horror directors? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, I think there was a good mix in there, yeah. But there were a couple that are like, no one has been named that but the person who directed Nosferatu. Like, (laughs) they were kind of out to lunch. The same thing happened in Prom Night, too. So it's not exactly an original pitch. But this individual's name is Claire Crosby. And I think everyone, almost everyone in this movie, has a last name having to do with someone who had a Christmas-related album hit. You know, I didn't even so, notice. That. I believe you are correct. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I didn't have... even I didn't even notice that because I was really just trying to keep track of who everybody was. Everyone oh, I was, is brunette of a certain length. Yeah, I was immediately thrown off as soon as Katie Cassidy is like Katie Kelly Presley, and I was like. Really? You're going to name somebody Presley in a movie? All right. That is a bold move. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, as somebody who grew up listening to a lot of classic uh, Christmas classics, they're they're all here. Yes. Um, and uh, we learn a couple things about uh, Claire Crosby. One, she appears to be in the midst of some sort of serious regret or denial attack. Um, and also, she does not let wine breathe. Just open a bottle, swirl it around in that glass. Give it a minute or two before you just start dunking it in your mouth. It's it's a living, breathing chemical reaction, people. Wine needs air. And that's old person's corner. We also have an appearance from Chekhov's pen, which is shot in very meaningful close-up. Yes, very meaningful close-up, and we see it is awful sharp for a pen, but she also has amazing calligraphy skills. So I was really jealous because I realized like how much, like as I've gotten older, how crappy my handwriting has gotten, and I was like, <laughs> gosh, I was like, I really was like, for a moment, I was like, man, I wish I could really write like that again, and I'm, because I'm a nerd for that stuff, so yeah, I um, noticed the cl- uh, well, calligraphy. Both, it's an art. Um, you have to write in movie theaters on occasion, right? Do you believe that part of your chicken scratch problem is that you're writing without looking at the, the the pad of paper that you're writing on? Or do you believe this is simply the ravages of age? Oh, I've always uh, had terrible handwriting. I, I, I actually <laughs> failed penmanship a couple times <laughs> in, in elementary school. Uh, I, I, the minute I um, got into high school and it became optional to write everything in cursive, I was like, hey, goodbye to that shit. I don't, even, I, don't even, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even remember how to do most of my cursive letters at this point. So now my handwriting has, it's terrible. It's always been terrible. And, and you know, the only thing, you know, it just makes it slightly harder to read now to write in the dark. 
Yeah, I, uh, I've ha- I, I used to have really good handwriting. Um, but yeah, when I'm in a theater and I have to take notes, it is it's like a train wreck on a page. Um, in fact, I went the second time I went to go see Suspiria. I was I had this idea that I was going to write this big piece for it, and just have been way too overwhelmed to do it. And I went back and I did like eight pages of notes because it's a long ass movie. And I'm like, I don't even know half of what I was writing. <laughs> but that that's also that movie too, because you're like, I'm not even sure what this is referencing at this point, um, which is not an octus Suspiria because I freaking love it. But uh, but I looked at those it was eight pages and I was like, I don't even know what to do with this. Uh, so I was like, you know, I've done enough. This this month I'm good um, but it's it's pretty terrible uh, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll, I'll wait until like a movie's done and I kind of try to like mentally compartmentalize like some notes in my head and the minute that light goes up that I start scr- like writing like a furious mad woman like just sitting there like trying to just garbage dump onto the page um, which doesn't always work but at least it helps a little bit but yeah I'm I am no good without light I, I don't have to uh, I just I have to write copy for TV shows so I can clickety-clack all I want to because I never have an audience to to worry about. Uh, But uh, when we recently did like a special where we we talked about the new Halloween and I had this epiphany halfway through it that I'm like, oh, this is great. This joke about how no one in Haddonfield seems to have a clothes dryer. They only dry their clothes on a line. And I'm like, oh, this is going to go over great. I can't wait to tell this joke. And I got out of the movie. I couldn't remember it. I couldn't remember it for days. I don't even know if I got onto the podcast. That's how long it took me to remember this dumb joke that I thought was so perfect. Um, I should have taken notes. Uh, So here we go. Let's get back into this. Why not? Um, We have a person who does not respect wine. Um, But she does have, uh, she hears a noise, Claire does, and she walks to her closet, which seemed to be filled with a metric ton of dry cleaning still in the bags. And I don't know about you, but I didn't dry clean anything when I was briefly in college. Uh, I don't think I dry cleaned anything until I was old enough to rent a car. I don't dry clean anything now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i don't yeah my life has gone reverse where most of my 20s was spent dry cleaning crap and now i'm like if it's not pajamas i don't wear it usually <laughs> unless i have to i've got like three sets of outfits that i wear if i have to go do a junket like at the four seasons mm-hmm. but other than that i don't own like a dressy outfit like and that includes a jean jacket so it doesn't even really count <laughs> um but maybe because like these these are women like these ladies were sort of of stature because they sort of you know write them as like kind of rich bitches all of mm-hmm. them like yeah. they all have like privilege so maybe you know maybe they had to dry clean all those argyle sweaters back you know back in the early 2000s <laughs> those crop top henleys uh, <laughs> it seems to predominate <laughs> this movie uh oh my god it is so of a time but wait uh the pen that she was using to write uh as gina noted <laughs> has disappeared uh but not for long as uh her head is then smothered in a different plastic bag and there's some sort of rubber ducky noise that happens every time someone gets smothered in a plastic bag (laughs) i don't really know what the foley work was here but it's It's, it's a little off it's very student bodies (laughs) (laughs) that makes me like it even more oh Half of that it, movie. It is makes great. a choice and it, it commits to it. It really does. Someone was enamored with the idea of a plastic ducky noise happening while someone was uh, choking to death on a plastic bag. Uh, just to add insult to injury, that pen is jammed into her eyeball. 
So my uh, question to you, Gina, is does this qualify as a get bunked? Because she is killed through something. It's just very thin. No, I think it has to be like a like a like a hard surface, like a like a wall or or a bed frame. I, I don't think plastic counts. I got really excited. I thought, oh my god, we have a, a movie with a lot of get bunked happening, and then uh, the I guess you're right. Uh, you're always right. When you're right, you're right. <sighs> it's worth it to point out that that this murder takes place within the first three minutes of the movie. Yeah, it's very it's very jarring. <laughs> I, I, I I will compliment it. I, I'm, I'm going to hold full judgment until I, I, I'm going to be fair and wait to watch the entire rest of the movie. It, it's not doing a lot for me right now. I will, I will say that much. <laughs> but it does not waste any time jumping right into the killing. I mean, if that's... You know, don't don't come to it for, for character development because, again, 40 minutes into it, I don't know who any of these characters are. <laughs> I, I can't tell any of them apart. There's there's some sort of you know vague subplot involving one of the girls watching pornography of her boyfriend, and I cannot tell if it's supposed to be her or another girl because oh the, I can clarify if it helps. It's it's the other that, it's, that, it's, it's, it's the other girl, the other blonde girl. Yeah, the other blonde girl's boyfriend. Um, at currently, but it turns out that they had once dated. But he turned. It's it's a whole thing that you might want to say for another episode. Oh, but, um, okay, it's, okay. It, if you think the boyfriend from the original Black Christmas is is bad, like this guy's, like you know, he's douche bro bag. Bad, this is you uh, know, Oliver Hudson's character, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the one who just all of a sudden, well, you know, you rich bitches just started moving in here. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> like maybe there was a subplot about him being like working class because, like, if you notice, like his jacket and his clothes aren't very like tailored or you know they're kind of like gingham-y, like car hat, like you know they're work. Jacket. It's like a work jacket, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's like okay, this is your second scene that you're appearing in, and you're and you're, and you're going in hard on the on the. Well, if it wasn't for you, rich bitches, everything would be fine. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> But he's dated a few of them. That, yes. that he has he has a real big problem with them as as people because he's dated at least two of them. <laughs> make up make up your mind, Oliver Hudson is all I'm asking. Listen, I think he in his mind he hates them, but his penis has completely different relationship That's with true. them. And apparently his video camera has a way different relationship with all of them. <laughs> it's very true. Uh, uh so uh she dies by Claire. We really enjoyed your handwriting. We really uh, enjoyed you cut. having no dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> no dialogue maybe if, at she, all. maybe if she would have let the wine breathe. Yeah. Uh, this movie is in such a rush uh, that it just gets right to it. And we cut to a terrible mid-2000s title card. This might be the most shameful element of this entire film. I dislike this title card. It is bad. It doesn't and people even fit who made it should feel bad. No. It, it doesn't even fit the aesthetic of this film whatsoever. Well, that like, and, like, it the, look- like that and the, the fonts like for like the different, when it shows like the different years, it's like, okay, what are we doing? Tales from the Crypt now? Okay. I, I- <laughs> <laughs> but aren't, are we? Are we not? That's the thing. Like the part of this movie would very much like to be a 1989 episode of tales from the crypt but at some point someone in the dimension offices is like 
fuck no, this has to be an actual slasher movie. No way are you going to do that. And it reverts into something else. An interesting footnote to that is I believe that uh, Wong and Morgan had actually been working on a Tales from the Crypt movie years before that. I think actually even before X-Files, if I'm not mistaken. Hmm. Yeah. So I maybe... think they would have succeeded is my guess. Yeah, I think they would have too. Uh, let's cut to an insane asylum somewhere snowy. Uh, with an accidental dropping of a single milk carton uh, within the first 30 seconds of the scene. It actually only took four minutes to get that first Final Destination reference as things cascade one upon another to make things worse and worse until somebody ends up dead. Uh, Let's add a pair of giallo gloves and very puffy boots. (laughs) Even for a person playing Santa, those are puffy moon boots. Did they make Uggs back then? (laughs) <laughs> if they did, these are made of vinyl and uh, are apparently overstuffed, like a couch of a roommate you had in college that you disliked. We uh, we get Chekhov's candy cane. And, <laughs> we and do s- several I, times. I, I actually wrote down, do you really want to give someone in an insane asylum a candy cane? Because <laughs> He has electric light, Christmas lights they, in they, his cell. They really like indulge this guy <laughs> like, well, for, for a guy who kills and eats his family they certainly yeah, make a lot of like, provisions on his behalf well yes. he really likes christmas so we're gonna put this rocking chair we're gonna put we're gonna hang up twinkle lights and we're gonna give him cookies and a candy cane because the holiday <laughs> is so special to him uh we meet three people very quickly one is a guy who is handing out christmas dinner to all the inmates one is a guy who should be at the children's ward and his other characteristic trait is that he's horny and full of backstory and then we have a security guard um who (laughs) has the rest of the backstory uh but uh our uh the guy handing out the food (laughs) puts a plate onto billy's like uh slab and says the following line it tastes like chicken because it's chicken this is a very x-files thing happening here that feels disconnected from the rest of the movie this seems like the black comedy they wanted to make and then the other tone is something else well that's the thing that that bothers me is that there's just a lot of scenes of just you know, brief encounters with unpleasant people. <laughs> um, you have all of these people, these these people working at the insane asylum, which, you know, of course, as is always the case in these movies, it's incredibly understaffed. And then you've got a little later in the movie, you, you've got Eve, who is, is she another member of the sorority house? Because she just kind of appears out of nowhere and she's like kind of weird looking and doesn't look like the rest. She looks like she's about 12, which is which is a little disconcerting. But, you know, everybody's just kind of uncomfortable with her. And, you know, she's shot in a kind of almost in a fisheye to make her look kind of even more weirder. Oh, and the, the Beastie Boys had more than likely sent a cease and desist letter. There's so much fisheye. Yeah. And, and I'm like, movie. OK, is this another, you know, just you know, town weirdo they're encountering and, and to, to what end? I mean, I'm assuming it, it looks like where I left off, it looked like something was about to happen to her, but I don't know. But it, it is her character, again, serves no basis to the plot. She just seems to appear out of nowhere. She has a very weird interaction with Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character. 
you know, gives her Chekhov's, you know, crystal unicorn sculpture. <laughs> um, but, but that's it. And it's just like, this is, you know, again, this feels very John Waters to me where, where, you know, it's, it's not just the killer that's weird and creepy. Everybody's weird and creepy. Oh, for sure. Everyone's weird and creepy. Uh, I mean, they, they do project some things onto Eve. If we can just jump ahead, she's wearing yellow gloves. And the present that she gets, unlike everyone else, which is wrapped in white and silver, hers is dressed. Hers is wrapped in a very yellow gold. So that might be the uh, very subtle hint that Eve is not all she's cracked up to be, and she might be connected to Billy Lenz. Yeah, well, and where where it does or doesn't go from there is like blah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they do nothing with that. Um, really. We- Oh, yeah, you're yeah. kidding me. Yeah, shocking. They do nothing with that? Oh, there's so many storylines dropped in this movie. Like, it's it's like a juggler's nightmare. Um, Two of the things that <laughs> kind of struck out to me. One, when you said, uh, I, I love the line when you said, uh, horny and full of backstory, because I think I'm going to use that for the title of my autobiography. <laughs> um, that's just like the greatest <laughs> phrasing ever. Uh, so I've been holding on to that for like a good two and a half minutes now. Um, But what it, what's interesting to me about the scenes at uh, the Clark Sanitarium, by the way, a mm-hmm. uh, little nod to. Mr. Ah, Bob Clark mm-hmm. um, is that so much of that part really reminded me of the tombs episodes um, from uh, X-Files the way that yeah. they shot it and the way that you get these little glimpses and he kind of was a guy who sort of had a very odd look to him as well yeah he had uh, those kind those... of lizardy eyes which is, yeah. which is what, 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 what this guy has and it's like okay what sort of liver disease does he have that is making him glow and look like some sort of werewolf fish man yeah. <laughs> well and i think maybe in their in their sort of way like this was their way of taking a character that they kind of helped create because i believe that was a more a morgan wong episode um and putting it into like a cinematic universe like honestly if they would have stuck with that and kind of lost the idea of billy lens and this weird stuff about you know incest and all that and made it like a tombs episode mm-hmm. and put it into a movie i would have been 120 percent more invested i think oh yeah because uh, i think that would have been interesting um, but yeah, I like, I mean, you know, it's perfect, you know, horror movie fodder. You get the, the crazy, you know, creepy sanitarium where, you know, everyone's supposed to be doing their job, but they're not really doing their job. And especially cause it's Christmas and nobody gives a shit, <laughs> um, like literally nobody. But of course I love that the one nurse that's working, of course, is like super hot yeah, and like very scantily dressed. I'm like, this is how you would dress when you work. At a mental institution that also has a children's ward. A children's ward attached to it. Yeah, and I just, you know, some very interesting decisions when it comes to some of the wardrobe and uh, character uh, sort of touches in this they're, movie. They're, they're, so yeah, they're t- speaking of uh, interesting touches, I, I I had to ponder the whole idea of, of you know, the, the horrible story of, of Billy Lenz being treated as some sort of like jolly folk legend that they have to <laughs> that they have to you know, leave a special gift you, you know the cannibal incest murder that took place here oh you, 20 years ago you know <laughs> i mean it's treated like you know and and this goes back to it's one like of the things it's like he's I, santa claus yeah yes you know, or, or yeah. the jersey legend. De- or, or the jersey devil just you know you know well you know legend has it that this no that was 20 years ago and it's, it's in the papers yeah and, and i patrick can can tell you i had a big problem with that and was it was it part six 
Patrick. It was which, every part after in, in part which, six in which where everybody... everyone treats this thing like like legend has it that Jason Voorhees. Legend has it. There's fucking newspaper articles about this, it. This has happened last summer. <laughs> <laughs> like oh, Roy geez. has so many of those newspaper articles in his wallet. He can't sit down at a level like one butt cheek would be raised entirely off the ground. That's how it was well reported. It was. At one point, and I think either 9 or 10, someone has a news article where it looked like they perp-walked Jason Voorhees in his <laughs> hockey mask. Yes, because they, they would they would do that. Yes. Oh, yeah, because you would arrest him and just put him in a fucking jail cell. We all remember that incident. Um, oh, boy, we're really going to miss Friday the 13th. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I, just found, I just found that the whole idea of, you know, this this wacky story of this you know this thing that happened right here in this house it's like no he killed a bunch of people and, and ate his mom whom he had you know an, an incest baby with that that's yeah. that, that's that's horrible you, you don't reflect upon that at christmas time you know? <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that sort of the the grotesque like humor of this movie though that ultimately they are treating this really horrible thing as this sort of like, oh, it's just part of our tradition, blah, blah, blah. But I think the way that they handle it, and maybe that comes down to the editing or the meddling that happened, that you don't really get that intention because it doesn't ever feel that way. Like you get the seeds, like maybe they are trying to sort of show how awful these people are by making a joke out of this really horrible, horrific thing. But it just, the way the movie exists now, like, it just plays it straight and it makes it so hard to decide like what is this movie yeah, yeah i don't yeah, i don't that's, know that's, that there's oh, sorry go ahead Gina. i was gonna say i i just there's there's a lot of tonal shifts in it that are that are you know, kind of weird and, and hard to go along with yeah i don't i'm not entirely sure because we we you know there's that break in the friday the 13th series where early on the people are mostly people you kind of like there's some people the jokesters were never particularly enjoyed but for the most part they were genial people unless they were stoners who would go to the bathroom outside without shoes on you like them and then at a certain point right around seven we get melissa and melissa changes the game entirely where we are automatically given a bitch character from that moment on who has who you have to hate everybody and that was a, a very distinct decision where they were reacting to where they thought the marketplace liked it. And in here, you have Michelle Trachtenberg, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and Lacey Chabert, and all recognizable faces. And I couldn't tell you what their character differences are for the life of me. They're obviously very attractive brunettes. So Mary they got Elizabeth that Win going on for them. But Mary Elizabeth Winstead has some sort of vague southern accent. Oh, and it's her, like and her, and her daddy does NASCAR. <laughs> is that what? It and, is? and then you've got the other so. the other girl in the in the half shirt that just you know openly just despises everybody that she lives with. For, for, <laughs> for, and I know, can relate to that, to be honest. That's me, like having to go in public where I just I cannot deal with a single soul. And I get that. I that she might be the most relatable character in this movie. Well, but you also have national treasure Andrea Martin just flitting through this entire thing oh, as if she is in a completely different movie and every moment she's on screen you're like can, can we just talk to her that would be great <laughs> um and it's not anything against these other actresses who have done stellar work in other things but they're they're they don't they don't have a foothold i don't know what their character is 
outside of Mary Elizabeth Winstead does not approve. And that's that's what we have. That and her accent, which like a, a tumbleweed just kind of passes out of frame and then occasionally comes back. Yeah, um, I would... I would say the biggest like sort of grievance that I have with this film is that they didn't give more of a story to Mrs. Mack, uh, who is Andrea Martin, of course, who is yeah. Phyllis and, you know, original Black Christmas, um, because the original Miss Miss Mack was so interesting to watch. And like there's all these little allusions to this life that she has led without ever even telling us because she was like in a singing group with her sister and, you know, she loves her booze and hides it through the house and she loves her cat. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she's, you know, good with covering up for the girls because she realizes that, you know, just because they act the way maybe their parents don't approve of, like she's still there for them. And this Mrs. Miss Mack, like, and I love Andrea and I think she's really fun in this movie. Um, They don't give her character anything. There's nothing that really even like makes her emotionally connected to any of these characters. And maybe that was the point. Uh, I'm trying to, you know, make the best of the situation. But like, (laughs) I don't don't know. It's just it's such a bummer because she's so good and she was so good, you know, good in the original Black Christmas. So I was like, oh, that's fantastic that they're bringing her back. And they don't really do anything with that character. And I wish they would have because it was such a great sort of grounding point of that sorority from the original yeah i I don't i don't i don't buy that any of these characters have have you know lived closely with each other for 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 three months they they just seem like they're just sort of stuck there against their will and just sort of you know bristling with barely concealed hostility at each other and (laughs) and you know and again i don't i don't know there's any payoff for that i mean it doesn't really it would seem to be if there was it would seem to be probably irrelevant to the plot but why not just have them get along with each other i mean the, well, the, the, I even the, oh go ahead i'm sorry the the like the sorority sisters in in um the original i mean yeah margot kidder's character was sort of bitchy but in a kind of playful wisecracky way but she's also really funny she is yes. I mean, but th- this this other girl whose name eludes me at the moment she's just mean and and i i don't know that anybody would put up with spending any portion of the holiday in her presence and <laughs> and she just seems angry in a way that we don't we don't figure out why and and again i they don't feel lived in these these people feel like they're they're stuck in an airport together <laughs> i was about That's, to say they're they're in a bus terminal when they're snowbound <laughs> well i think um What's interesting, I was going to say that it's like, you know, they didn't even have to necessarily like each other because I think like if you look at something like Happy Death Day um, and you look at the sorority sisters and they're like, there's like that sort of healthy competition, but they still have each other's back. Like you have to have that sort of duality to it where there's still a sisterhood, but they're willing to fight with each other because, you know, when you're in a family, you fight and you, you know, kind of bicker and stuff like that. This movie doesn't have that. Like it's it's just the bickering. And you're like, how how do any of these girls get in with each other? Because you ha- it's part of the game of being in a sorority is you have to win over your sisters to get in. If I'm not mistaken, I was never cool nor rich enough to join a sorority. Um, but I imagine that's sort of how it goes. And these people don't even look like they want to even talk to each other. So I'm like, how did anybody win anybody over to get into this place? I, I It's hard for you to have a personal connection with another character on screen when the majority of the time you are texting via 10 digit keypad for the oh, entirety and- of your dialogue 
this is such an and it's odd so decision to do that <laughs> she's I, it's really such a is. tedious process it probably was just one text throughout the whole movie because that's how long it took it took them that long to say i'm not going to be leaving the house until midnight tonight because <laughs> you're hitting five 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 seven nine 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 um god thank thank god for technology anyways uh it's not that I dislike these actresses. I don't think they're given enough to do. And part of the reason is because there's so much fucking backstory to Billy Lenz, who we might note at this point has not escaped the asylum slash children's hospital yeah, that he's so, in. So clearly there's there's more than one killer. At, there's at more play than one here. killer. They, they establish that right away. So we have a, a, a red herring, or in this case, a yellow herring. So we cut back to this <laughs> this hospital where we learn that billy hasn't escaped yet so who is killing the sisters of delta alpha kappa ha ha i got it once uh two billy can make a box out of folded newspaper which is seriously impressive three they've given a dangerous psychotic electric christmas lights which is fucking nuts and a pen and and a pen four when the security guard finds out that billy has escaped by pulling his toilet out of the wall with his bare hands uh, he does not uh, sound any sort of alarm. He just kind of begrudgingly investigates himself, almost as if this is the beginning of an X-Files episode, and eventually Mulder and Scully are going to come like, why didn't he uh, sound the alarm? But we never get that. We never get a Mulder and Scully that I'm aware of. Uh, but it's too bad because that security guard ends up with a candy cane shiv to the back of his neck. We will miss you. Uh, you had a cool <laughs> voice, dude. <laughs> Um, and in this was also the scene which we're introduced, uh, to Oliver Hudson's character. Uh, and so this marks the first time we've ever had a movie where I've written four people who are in the movie. So it's really weird to see Oliver Hudson be skeevy because I just know him as this nice guy who eats raw broccoli and goes, yeah, I can make that joke work. And then I'm like, I like that Oliver Hudson. He made my joke work. <laughs> before um, he was making your jokes work though he was making porno uh videos with his girlfriends without him knowing and staring directly into the camera like he so is american he... psycho like, <laughs> like that guy is that was his patrick bateman moment he's like yeah he would have flexed in that position if he could have oh true very true but it's very chaste for a sex tape because the the blankets are pulled all the way up practically to their necks yeah don't worry though they make up for that that you know all of that later on in the movie where you're like oh this is rated r but like we're seeing really like very non-graphic sex and you're like oh but hold on the movie the movie still got like another 45 minutes or so you're, <laughs> don't worry you're gonna catch up <laughs> oh so gina guess what you get some nudity what you've always wanted all and right. not male nudity because there's barely a dude in this fucking thing yeah no it's a there's a there's a a, a dearth of dudes in this uh, which makes it unique um, because I, I like that element of it um, because we almost have a snowbound thing like uh, setting, uh, but we've inserted uh, Oliver Hudson into this, who I believe was given one direction or maybe two by the director. And that was squint and look sinister. <laughs> scowl. Lots of scowling. Scowl a lot. Yeah. Um, so uh, Claire's dead body is in a rocking chair. So if you had that on your 
Black Christmas 1974 bingo card. You can give that a check right now. Uh, it works a lot better in the original. And every time that this movie sets foot in the same territory, I feel like the elephant in the room stomps on it. And any time it sort of does its own thing, with the exception of the incest storyline, oh, I think it does better. Yeah, yeah I, w- I would absolutely agree. Especially because like the the rocking chair scenes in this film, and there's like maybe two or three of them, I think, total, um, they don't have the same impact uh, as they do in the original. And I think because there's this idea of suspense, and I don't think this this movie isn't about suspense at all. Uh, it's just about, hey, let's throw a bunch of crazy shit at you for, for 90 minutes and see what happens. Um, where Bob Clark's was very much a study in suspense. Like it yeah. was just where you're holding your breath and, you know, pun intended, I guess, maybe. Um, <laughs> and waiting to see like how all this was going to come out and if these women were ever going to discover that this guy is in their attic. Um, and even the way that they shot, like the best parts of like black Christmas OG is like when he's pushing the rocking chair and you just see his hand moving it back and forth. And that's so creepy because it's like the camera, like, you know, original Billy is like just staring at this corpse that's, you know, sitting in this rocking chair and just having like this little moment where it's almost, you know, he's talking to it and he's interacting with it. Like it's his plaything. And in this one, it's just because it's a black bag and like it's shot really, you know, really dark. So it's hard to even see. There's no impact whatsoever. It's just like a kind of a toss away moment where it's like if you're going to do that, like find a way to do it where it means something, but maybe uh-huh. means something differently. Um, it's just... I don't understand. I almost feel like that must have been studio interference for like, no, you need to have a rocking chair scene. Let's go shoot it right now. And, it, you know, one of those idiots took a camera and just shot a scene really quick because uh, that's how it feels. It doesn't even feel like it was staged. It just feels like somebody threw a camera up real quick and like shot it like there's yeah. no art to it where the original those original scenes really felt like sort of this macabre like piece of art like if you saw that as a picture it would scare the crap out of you well they used it as a a poster yeah that's how evocative it is this does feel like second unit like someone just like all right i'm doing this dialogue scene can you run up and do this in this other set and or even like third unit like where they're like just they gave a pa a camera and they're like hey (laughs) go shoot this scene we're all busy um so we're introduced to megan and this sequence, which looks a lot like the Poseidon adventure because it's just very long ladders and very low angles. And uh, we know a couple things about Megan. Um, she also likes red wine. Everyone in this place is drinking red wine, which I did not know the sorority sisters were super into, but this one they are. And uh, two, she is somehow connected to uh, Oliver Hudson. We later learned that they were sleeping together. Um, so she hears something in the ceiling. She goes to investigate. Uh, we get one camera angle right underneath her boob, which is very <laughs> odd. Uh, this this house appears to have been built by Fritz Lang because it's all weird angles. And uh, so she goes up to the attic where she sees a music box. And for her trouble, she gets a bag around her head and then her eye is torn out it's a yes. lot yeah, yeah she I, gets she gets stabbed um uh bag for her and then gets her eye torn out yeah eyes eye uh, eye damage is a uh 
a distinct running theme in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. It's it's interesting to me because they sort of go with this theme of the plastic bag a lot, um, which if you go back and watch your original Black Christmas, it, it that wasn't really the case. Like that Billy sort of mixed up his kills uh, quite a bit. So it's interesting to me that they were like, no, this was the one iconic kill. We're going to just use this, uh, you know, as many times as we can get away with in here, minus the scene under the house, you know, and then of course... There's, you know, things that happen later on as well. Um, but, like, it's just interesting to me that they were like, oh, we love it. Like, let's do it again and maybe again. Like, it just, it again, I think that's why it loses the value of that sort of graphic image of somebody having a bag, you know, around their head and getting suffocated. Because, you know, you sort of get desensitized to it by the time, you know, it, I don't know. And maybe it's you guys, you know, doing all the Jason stuff, you guys know, like, this idea of like Jason, yeah, he has a you know has a machete, but like he does or does other things with other things. Like you He's want a crafty. little variety, yeah, you want a little variety. So it's just kind of eye plucking and plastic bags seem to be really what this movie is all about. And and stabbing um, someone with the with the errant Christmas tree ornament, which you know I don't know. I kind of sort of feel like you know before it could really do any damage, it's just going to break in your hand. I mean, do you know how easy <laughs> it is to break a Christmas ornament? You, oh my it, gosh! Yes, you, you know, you, it, it drops a foot and it shatters all over the place, and you're going to try to like <laughs> ram this into somebody's skull. At one point, Billy's mom pulls a uh, Jaws thing where she crushes an ornament in her hand, like Hooper does. <laughs> With a paper cup, <laughs> paper cup, <laughs> and just staring at her husband that she hates. Um, so yeah, bye, Megan. We don't know dick about you. This this then sets up the backstory express, uh, where we learn that Billy was real. This isn't just a goofy thing. The reason they they leave a present out for him, as I guess, is to what do you leave him? <laughs> I don't know. Do you leave him like like a like a fruitcake or or I mean, is this something? I mean, are they? I this is something I I, I wish they had explored, like the the because. Considering that the the murders took would have taken place what the nineties, so like this is this is a very new tradition. So I, I I'm curious as to a who decided that this was going to become a tradition, and and b like what is you know, what is the acceptable offering to Billy List? My apologies, someone has started a printer. Yeah. <laughs> That that is not me. No, that no, it is in my house. Someone is printing something from the main house into the office where the printer is right next to my microphone. Is it Billy Lens? It's probably Billy Lens. The printing's coming from inside the house. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure this is super important and absolutely had to happen right now. Uh, Let's get this backstory out of the way because. I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is my least favorite part of this entire oh, movie. It absolutely is. I'm just watching it. I'm like, why? 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 Because, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, again, it's so weird and different in tone from the rest of the movie. It's sort of wacky. And we got this gross mom and... and you know, she's she's you know, having sex out in the open with the with the you know the new dad who's even grosser, and and then she just comes up into the in, into the attic and just drops her nightie in front of them. I mean, what am I supposed to think of this? I mean, you know, and then she, you know, and again the, the way that he murders her, it feels very again 
very Tales from the Crypt. I mean, the whole, you know, he, he presses, you know, cookie cutter into her back and makes cookie Christmas cookies out of her flesh. And it's like, okay, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about this. You know, honestly, it's kind of dumb. And, and, you know, not as, as kooky and gruesome as, as they wanted to be. I was like, well, this feels very silly and very comic booky, and it, it doesn't go with the rest of the movie. There's, oh my God, this, this part of it is crazy. First of all, this room, this house is so giant. Why are you having sex in the hallway? You have like 50 rooms. Because they're terrible people. <laughs> They're because terrible. when you've been chain smoking for as long as this woman and you can't make it up the full flight of stairs, you just stop <laughs> where you are and you just go to town. Yes. Uh, we have uh, apparently uh, this is part of this tragedy is born of whiskey dick that the stepdad cannot keep it up due to the drinking and smoking regime that he has going with the new mom. And so that's why she goes to sleep with the son that she hates. I don't get that at all. That is fucking nuts. And it's not like, a good it, kind of nuts. No, it's I mean, just like, it's like, it's sort of like a very, it reminded me a lot of why I kind of fell away from American Horror Story. And it's just like, they're just, they're, they're trying anything. They're going to try anything to really freak you out and, and, and just make the audience uncomfortable. And, and okay, well, well, first we're going to have child abuse and then we're going to have them murdering a dad right in front of them. And then we're going to have her being you know, openly sexual with the new husband, you know, where he can hear and see them. And then we're no, yep, let's just go for broke. Let's make her have sex with him. And <laughs> and it's just, it's like, you know, all right, I get it. I get it. I get it. You know, because it's just, you know, kind of beating you over the head with, with, you know, you know, isn't this really gross and unpleasant and uncomfortable? Are you uncomfortable yet? And it's like, well, kind of, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, do I, do I need to be, do you, do you want me to be really uncomfortable? Because I am, you know, mission accomplished. I think for me, it really, um, again, and I think this is what it kind of goes back to uh, the X-Files for me, because it really felt like reminiscent of home, which was probably the most, um, controversial episode of yeah see i love i love that episode i think it's because it's just a standalone you know episode with its own story it just it does not go with the rest of the movie is 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 is, is the problem it's just it doesn't go with the rest of a standard slasher movie oh yeah no absolutely not but i think for me it almost felt like this was like again like you know wong and morgan kind of leaning into those things that they knew were sort of like their fans would would get um but again i don't know that you know it would work within the context because like once you start mashing up x-files episodes against each other you know you're gonna you're gonna have a lot of crazy shifts which is what this movie does um but yeah for me i was just like oh it's like the peacock family version too um Mm -hmm. except with a little more yellow added and but but yeah also also a crazy crazy mom yeah but it also has kind of like you kooky kind of tim burton-esque music in certain scenes and it's and it's just well they they were sort of the purveyors of like the let's use that really soothing music during the most horrific parts of it um because you know you basically have the scene where like the peacock brothers go out to kill the sheriff the johnny mathis song yeah it's the wonderful, wonderful, and you know that you see them, and you just hear the bat cracking against the their their body or his body while his wife watches. Um, and I think you know because now it's like everybody's like, oh, you know, that's sort of a thing to do in horror movies. But like X Files did it back, you know, way back in the day. 
Um, and I think that's where a lot of directors sort of found inspiration from. But yeah, I, I, in terms of the context of what this, the rest of this movie is, it does not fit. Um, and maybe, but again, I don't know how much of that was them, how much of that was the studio. It's so hard to tell. This movie is just, it doesn't know what it is. <laughs> uh, it really, really doesn't. And so throughout this, we have a bunch of different, kills the real dad gets it via plastic bag and then claw hammer and so you know bigger fetishes have been started in smaller ways than watching your dad die uh underneath a couch um and so uh billy witnesses both the murder and then later witnesses them burying dad underneath the house this somehow triggers the mom to go oh wait like oh you've noticed this eventually the kid was going to notice this right uh but he pulls a bad ronald and goes up the inside of the house into the attic and then they lock him in the attic but doesn't he have access to the crawl spaces of the house i don't know how, how are they containing him when he has free reign to get other places i don't think thinking it's that maybe they that. don't yeah, I, I'm thinking maybe they didn't realize the crawl space, like the width, like the the abilities he had in it. Um, I don't know. It, it's because he's crawling up that fucker like he's Spider Man. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. So uh, we get dad gets it. Then uh, later on, we have a scene in which we learn that the product of this incestuous relationship uh is now the perfect child that that mom always wanted we then see them years later at a different christmas celebration where even having the supposedly perfect child has not made this mom's life any better she just looks she like is, a, she looks like she looks like a dried apple witch do you remember when we were kids and <laughs> we would make the, the the fall decoration you get the apple and just carbon just get all dried out and shriveled and mm-hmm you know, uh, didn't, didn't we prognosticate that Jason Voorhees was making those for a swap meet? We in did. New Jersey? We did. Yes. Everything, everything comes full circle. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, she, it's terrible. She can't keep lipstick off her teeth, and she can't keep her her uh, her she nail just, polish on. She, she just looks like somebody that would have been in a David Lee Roth video, just yelling at him <laughs> at, at a convenience store. <laughs> Just, just yelling people. at a camera. You'll never amount to anything. You call this rock and roll. Exactly. <laughs> oh my god. Everyone who's under the age of 29 has turned off this podcast. They always do. <laughs> they're they're more about Van Hagar, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're more about the Crystal Pepsi era. So, um <laughs> So uh, eventually, at some point during this Christmas celebration, uh, the 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 other lens child is kidnapped by Billy. Uh, she is uh, has a plastic bag around her head, and then ha- is it an eye is plucked out, or at least he, that's he, the yeah. illusion. He takes out her. He takes out her eye. Yeah. yeah, it's very slobbery. Let's put it, that out there. Like it's I it's think to he the eats, point. Does he eat it? Yes, I think he eats it too. Yes. Because why not? Well, sure. I mean, that's the, that's the hors d'oeuvre to what's about to happen. Because he then uh, clubs mom to death out in an extended sequence uh, where he literally clubs her 13 times and then uses a uh, cookie cutter 
to take out skin from her back and cook it in the most mid-century modern oven I've ever seen. I'm so fucking jealous of that <laughs> oven. I want it. You know, it, you, you know they never use it either. Oh my god, it's so beautiful though. Look at that that etched glass. Oh, it's so awesome. <laughs> um, the cops then find him chewing noisily on the flesh cookies that he's made. And which match to hold their shape. I am I am extremely envious. Right? Yeah. Like, because I, I do a lot of baking at the holidays, so it's nice to know that if I need my cookies to stay in shape, I just need to go with flesh. It's, yeah. It's actually kind of helpful. He's not even using cooking spray or or, or, or some sort of wax paper or, or anything, like a cookie pad. I, the guy has talent. Let's put it up there. And they get so close into his mouth, I thought we were looking at... <laughs> it's just... It's unsavory how close we get to this man's face. And his yellow tones seem to come and go depending upon the need. Or maybe that's just the red Suspiria lighting they're giving this particular scene. Oh yeah, now there's definitely scenes like particularly in the in the uh in the sanitarium where I, I thought he had he had swallowed too many glow sticks. Because I mean he's just <laughs> like he's like iridescent. Oh, a stepdad gets an ornament through the eye socket. That's the other thing that happens. So, uh, and <laughs> I know it seems like, but you've barely talked about the plot. Folks, we're 38 minutes into this. I don't know what the plot is. There doesn't appear to be a plot. <laughs> the, the, the plot is, is, is that somebody is making, as another, as another uh, nod to the original movie, someone is making harassing phone calls, but an acknowledgement that it is the 21st century. They are coming from various cell phones belonging to the other sorority sisters. Now, I guess he's just walking around. Whoever's doing it, because it's, it's not Billy. It can't be Billy. No, it can't um, be Billy. So whoever this is, is just walking around with a bunch of cell phones in his pocket. <laughs> well, it's, and, it's and, you know, this was, this was the early 2000s. So these were large phones. <laughs> it's interesting to me because of how integral those calls felt to the original Black Christmas and how much of like a throwaway they feel like in this movie. Like it was like everything that they should have leaned into for this one. They, they didn't and everything they shouldn't have done. They did. <laughs> um, it was like, the right. it was like opposite day when they made this it, movie. It, it, it doesn't make any sense because again, as in, as in the original, there's a lot of, you know, mentioning of Billy. What have you done to Agnes? Agnes is the, in this version, Agnes is the, the incest baby. But that's not Billy calling. It, it can't be. It is, so I don't know how this person would know, you know so much about what happened in, in, in the house that they would be able to you know, recite the dialogue. Or, I mean, I'm starting to get an idea. As I'm working this out in my head, I'm like, oh, it's probably it, it does. If there's one thing a movie does, it does finally find a way to give you some of that. Um, whether that'll actually satisfy you as a viewer is hard to tell, to be really honest. Yeah, but they I, I mean, do yeah. it. There, there is a way it does work out where you're like, oh, okay, but like, really, is it okay? I mean, it's okay, <laughs> but is it okay? I don't know. It's different yeah, degrees I, I of have okay. A, I have a feeling that my my that's going to be pretty much my 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 closing opinion on this. It's okay, but is it okay? <laughs> <laughs> Are any well, of us okay after this? <laughs> oh, we're changed uh, on a on a on a 
atomic level by this film. Uh, but you know what? It's time to give ourselves the present. And that is to choose our own death venture. Of the deaths that are presented in this section of the movie, if we were forced to die in that way, which one would you choose and why? And so up for bid, we have have a plastic bag over your head and get <laughs> stabbed. That like most of them? It's like... I was just say, uh, gee, I don't know, get something stuck in my eye? I, I just decide. <laughs> this is a real preview of where I feel that it's going to be the weirdness of doing Nightmare on Elm Street after this. Because... Every death is going to be, do you want to get stabbed or stabbed? Like, but at least by three, they start mixing it up a little bit. That's true. People people die by their greatest fears. He becomes Pennywise. Or Pennywise became uh, Freddy Krueger. I couldn't tell you which came first. It's a real chicken and, and the child molesting egg you got going on there. Um, so I don't know how we're going to do choose your own death venture here because no one dies in an exceptionally different way. How would you want to be clubbed or stabbed? I guess is what it comes down to. And uh, so Heather, as our guest, I, I choose you to go first. I mean, I feel like as a writer, I want to go out via bag with the, with the pen. I feel like that's just the most poetic way to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, because I mean, it's either that or bag with, you know ornament or i mean it's just so many bags to choose from it's just hard to pick one <laughs> it really but I is think, but i think the most poetic way would be with the pen i feel oh. like that pen i would i would i would do it justice with my death worthy selection gina what say you i i'm going to go bagless and festive and take a candy cane to the neck <laughs> oh there we go oh you're just gonna get it over quick <laughs> yeah I, yeah i don't i i'm i i'm it, it, as as we often play this game, I usually take the quickest death possible because I am a coward. Yeah, and I hate face violence, and this is all face violence, but I think I'm going to take bag with claw hammer to the back of my head because it only takes about three whacks for him to say night-night as opposed to in Friday the 13th Part 2 where that sheriff has that hammer hanging in the back of his head for what feels like forever. I mean, the toilet... Uh, gets a bigger send-off than that that poor sheriff's deputy. <laughs> Once again, toilet. I feel like I feel like it's an early Christmas gift just for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the greatest musical cue in all Friday the Thirteenth history. Okay, so that pretty much does it. Uh, but before we go, Heather, you have so many things for people to check out. I want you to let people know all of them right now. Ooh, okay. Um, so you can find my writing over at dailydead.com. Um, you can find out more about Corpse Club, which is our podcast, over at corpseclub.com. Um, my book uh, that I recently just did was called Monster Squad, um, celebrating the artists behind cinema's most uh, memorable creatures, because I, I had to go with the easiest title to remember possible, and I probably screwed up my own book title. <laughs> um, but you can find it on Amazon. Um, and also... Um, I haven't talked a lot about this, but I've, uh, coming up, I'm on the advisory board for this upcoming documentary on 80s horror called In Search of Darkness uh, that goes into production in January. So we're really excited about that. We just finished our Kickstarter uh, and killed it with that. So I'm really excited to start digging in all, all these interviews uh, and celebrate a pretty great uh, era of horror. So if you want to know more about that, because um, just because people didn't get a chance to be part of the campaign, they're, you know, the movie will be out or the documentary will be out by sometime next summer. So, you know, folks can grab it. So you can find out more there um, at 80shorrordoc.com. 
Excellent. Do it today, people. Uh, Gina, where can people find you on these internets? I write about old TV and movies and pop culture at my own website, which is GinaRadcliffe.com. I also review movies and television at AlkaHollywood.com. Uh, by the time this goes up, I will have watched and reviewed the Kurt Russell Santa Claus movie, which I could not be <laughs> more excited to, to be able so to watch. I am so jealous right now. <laughs> when, oh I got, when I saw that assignment list, I was like, yes! Got the Kurt oh. Russell Santa movie. <laughs> I could not. Oh, be more I know what I'll be watching. Oh yeah. <laughs> Listen, you're talking to a person who has a movie poster, an original movie poster of the strongest boy in the world <laughs> on his wall. So I, th- I think he wears I'm his Kurt own Russell beard. I, I just love, I think I think that is his own beard playing Santa Claus. <laughs> Uh, he does all his own stunts. Uh, and so, of course, if you want to contact us, there's a couple simple ways to do it. The easiest is Twitter, Kill by Kill Pod, uh, Instagram, Kill by Kill Podcast. We have the Facebook group and we have the Facebook page, sort of varying levels of commitment. And of course, if you would like to support us, the uh, couple ways to do it one is financially at Patreon. Uh, just look up Kill by Kill. And we have. Wonderful supporters whom we thank each and every episode. Thank you so much. And, of course, you can also support us if you you don't have the ducats available uh, via reviewing us on whatever podcatcher you happen to get us on. Uh, Many people, we've noticed, uh, listen to us on Apple. So if you look us up on Apple Podcasts and review us with a five-star review there and tell us what your favorite uh, death was in any of the films that we've covered... Uh, we will talk about it here on the air. That is our solemn promise to you, the Kill by Kill listener. And so until next time, uh, the holiday body count will continue for myself and for Gina and for Heather. Uh, bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Kill by Kills produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. Friday the 13th is owned by Paramount Pictures. Jason is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill logo was designed by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.